the Gospel of John for the last six years, and we're at the last section, and the book ends. But I haven't preached through John 1. Somebody might ask, well, why haven't you preached through the first chapter? Well, because one day I wanted to preach on Jesus doing the miracle at the wedding at Canaan when he turned, when he turned water into wine. Remember that? And I loved it so much, I just kept going. I didn't stop. And here we are, six years later. So when I finish this message today, the next time I preach, we'll do John chapter 1. And then it's in God's hands what He wants me to do after that. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 15 through 25. And today's reading, as I said, is the end of John's Gospel. And this challenges us. Every true believer, this text challenges us from the time John wrote this until now. And it challenges us to this question. Do you love Jesus more than these? And you're going to fill in the blank as I preach to what these are in your life. We're going to see what it was for Peter, but what is it for you? Would you mind standing as we read God's word? John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things. And who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to open our hearts to say, to hear your word. 
We ask that your Holy Spirit works this into the recesses of our hearts and causes it to flow out of our lives. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to start off with a story, as I usually do. This is sort of a hallmark story. Now, I don't like hallmark. My wife likes it. Terry likes it. They sit and they cry. I, I, don't, I, I don't understand it. I just don't like hallmark. But this is a sanctified hallmark story. And here it, here it is. It's about a story of two lovers who made a pact with each other, an agreement with each other. And it goes like this. A painful dilemma was solved by a young school teacher in New Mexico in 1889. Her school was at a town called Kama. There she met a young businessman with whom she became acquainted. They grew attached to each other. And in the summer, the young man began to talk of marriage. The school teacher wanted her father's consent to the union. So at the first appointment, she paid a visit to his ranch at Alamosa. It was arranged that after a few days, her lover should follow her and learn the result of her application to her father. The girl's mission was not successful. Her father knew nothing of the young man's character or position, but was against him on general principles. His opposition continued in spite of argument and coaxing and was still firm when the lover appeared. The daughter happened to see the young man approaching the ranch and told her father, He shall not come into my house, said the old man resolutely. Finding that pleading was of no avail, the girl considered for a minute, then seized her father in her arms, hugged him again and again, affectionately kissing him. Then she released him with a tearful goodbye, caress, and ran from the house to meet her lover. She told him the situation, and then mounting to his side in the wagon, they drove to Santa Fe where they were married. Evidently, it cost her a struggle to leave her father for her lover, and doubtless her husband loved her all the more for the proof she therein gave him of the depths of her love. And the writer goes on to say, he says, Such love, stronger than all rival claims, the Lord Jesus requires of all who would be his followers. So, this... Illustration leads me into my proposition. I always start off with a proposition. It's a challenge to you. It's kind of the main thought of the text. And it's this. Do you love Christ more than anything? Do you love Christ more than anything? Do you love Christ more than anyone? And three points I'm going to bring to your attention. When you love Christ more than anything or anyone... You will follow him. When you love Christ more than anything, you will feed his people. And third point, when you love Christ more than anything, you will bear witness about him. I'm going to look at the first point now. When you love Christ more than anything, you will follow him. But before we really get into the application of that, I want to talk about what it means to love God. What it means to love Christ. The greatest thing you and I can ever do in all of life is to love God more than anything or anyone. As a matter of fact, the scriptures clearly teach us that this is how we are to respond to God. We are to love Him more than anything. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, there was a scribe. The scribe was a lawyer and was an expert in the Mosaic law. 
and he thought he was able to trap Jesus. You know, they were always trying to trap Jesus. Because Jesus always contradicted their false religious system. So they figured if we could trap him, we could get him, we could have him killed, we could get him out of our lives forever. And the question they tried to trap Jesus with was, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus, of course, never being able to get be trapped, answers precisely and correctly. He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. They were to love God with all their will, with all their intellect, with all their emotion. They were to love God with everything that was in them. But how were they to do that? Since, really, the truth of the matter is, they didn't, nor has anyone ever since loved God to that capacity. Well, how are they to do that? Well, Jesus shows us what it looks like to love Him with all our hearts in everyday life in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He says, this is Jesus. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, Jesus is saying, to be worthy of Him, meaning to have Him, is to love Him more than anything. To love Him, wives, more than your husbands. To love Him, husbands, more than your wives. To love Him, parents, more than your children. To love Him more than money. To love Him more than jobs, sports, hobbies, exercising, comfort. You fill in the blank. I had to fill in my blank as I was preparing this. Is there anything you love more than Christ? Jesus says, you're not worthy of him. Like the story of the lover who I just read, who left her father who she loved for someone she loved more, her soon-to-be husband. We are to forsake all lovers for Christ. This doesn't mean we don't love our family members. We're not saying that here. But we are to love Christ more than anyone or anything. And there are people from other religions who say they love God, but they reject Christ. So they cannot be truly loving God. Jesus told the Jews in John's gospel that they didn't have the love of God in them because he came in his father's name and they did not receive him. So to truly love God, holy, one must truly love Jesus, holy. Back in our text... Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Why did the omniscient Christ ask Peter three times? I think most agree is because Peter denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus is reinstating Peter three times. There's a little controversy going on amongst the scholars I love when they fight, not fight, but they debate amongst the, each other about the word love here. And I'm not going to get into a, a big thing because I don't want to confuse you, but it, it's worth mentioning. When Jesus asked Peter the first two times, he used a particular verb, 
Agapeo. You know the, the word agape, of course. Agapeo. He used the verb agapeo. And then the last time he, he said, Peter, do you phileo me? Meaning, do you affectionately love me? Now, some say Jesus uses a different verb for love the first two times. He asked Peter, do you love me? And a different verb the third time, which would make distinctions in the verb usage. I don't hold that view and most scholars don't hold that view. Because John, throughout his gospel, uses the word interchangeably. So most hold to that, and I do too. And besides that, John uses other words interchangeably, right in that same text. When he says, Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Which also really mean the same thing. So there's really no distinction. So, you know, this may have been just John's way, his, his style of writing. He didn't want to make things, you know, he, he, he didn't want to make things sound so much the same, so he used different words. Whatever, I don't know. Whichever way one takes, we should still not miss the point. Peter, do you love me? And when Peter, and when Jesus asked Peter the third time, it says Peter was grieved. He responds to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. In other words, Lord, you're the omniscient Christ. You know what omniscient means? All-knowing. He knows everything. You know everything, Lord. You know with certainty that I love you. You know that I failed you. And you know in spite of that, I still love you. And you know that, Lord. Jesus seems to want Peter to confess his love for him three times. Because, once again, Peter denied him three times. And therefore restores Peter completely for future service. Peter, you love me? You're saying you love me? Take care of my sheep. Take care of my, the people I love. Take care of my church. Peter was given grace beyond forgiveness. Now I know. Listen. Psalm 32 talks about blessed is the man who's forgiven. Right? It's so great to be forgiven. I can't think of a, a better feeling to know that my sin is forgiven. But Jesus went beyond forgiveness. That's why he entitled it Beyond Forgiveness. He would be an under-shepherd of God's people, which we'll talk about in point two. He didn't just forgive Peter. He commissioned him. Another thing we need to look at in verse 15 when Jesus said, Do you love me more than these? What did Jesus mean when he said these? Did he mean... Peter, do you love me more than your occupation? I mean, that's the context. If you look at verse 1, he's talking about fishing through the whole context. Did he love Jesus more than the nets, the boats, fishing occupation? And now he's calling him to be a fisher of men? Did he say, you know, Peter, do you love me more than your occupation of fishing? Or did he mean, Peter, do you love me more then you love your fellow disciples, your friends over here. Or, did he mean, Peter, do you love me more than your friends love me? After all, we need to remember, when Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel that they will all fall away because of him, Peter boasted, "Ah, not me, Jesus. They might fall away, not me. I will follow you wherever you go till death. And what happened? He denied him three times. So, Peter was kind of boasting, I love you more than they love you. So Jesus was saying, do you love me more than they love me? Whichever he meant, 
Peter needed to love Jesus more than his occupation, his love for his fellow disciples, and his disciples' love for him. In other words, Jesus wanted him to love, Jesus wanted Peter to love him above everything. This is the kind of love Jesus wants from his disciples then and now. This is the kind of love Jesus wants from you. He wants pure, undivided devotion. As a matter of fact, listen to this. This I found astounding. Astounding. Paul told the Corinthian church in his benediction, this is what he says. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, this is Paul the Apostle, not John Verde, okay? If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. I I found, when I read that, I said, this is some serious business. But Peter did love Jesus, didn't he? Peter may have failed many times. His faith at times may have been weak. But his faith was never overthrown. Make no mistake about that. Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. Jesus tells Peter, also called Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And that's exactly what he did. Make no mistake about this. Satan and his demons will do anything they can to overthrow your faith. He will do anything he can. And now Peter understands this. As a matter of fact, he writes in his first epistle to a persecuted people in the fifth chapter and the eighth verse. He says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to some, someone to devour. But we also need to make no mistake about this. When Jesus prays for your faith, your faith will not fail. John Piper says this, When a death-defying Savior prays that your faith does not fail, it does not fail. And if it fails, you were never a Christian to begin with. Peter's faith did not fail. His faith was genuine. You know what Peter's faith was like the stock market? I mean, if you follow the stock market... If you have stock invested, you know it goes like this. It goes up, 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 up. And, and, and 2018, the earlier part, the stock was really going up. And all of a sudden, the last few weeks, it went down. That was like Peter's faith. Peter, who do the men say that I am? Oh, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Peter's faith is going up. Peter... You're the rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter's faith was soaring high. Oh, Lord, if all fall away because of you, I will never. Peter's faith was like the stock market. It was so high. And all of a sudden, it went down. But what happens with the stock market? Historically, it starts to go back up. It starts to climb back up. That's Peter's faith. That's our faith. If we're genuine believers, sometimes we'll have faith that just is on a mountaintop. And then all of a sudden... It takes a nosedive. Peter's failure and Jesus reinstating him in some way applies to every single Christian. And I like what Dr. Bruce Milne, he was quoting Rita Snowden, and he says this. He said, the principle, well, Rita Snowden says this. The principle applies in a special way at the beginning of Christian life, but it is continually applicable. 
As Peter discovered, and as Paul would, was to find out later, no matter how desperate our failure or how deep-seated our shame, he could forgive and renew us and then use us in his service. Failure is never final with God. I like that. Failure is never final with God. You ask me what forgiveness means? It is the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. And that's what Peter did. He disgraced the Lord. But the Lord wasn't finished with him. Have you failed Jesus? Let me ask you that question. Have you failed Jesus? Take heart. Jesus is not finished with you. Know how deep his love is for you and seek his forgiveness. And he will forgive you. And when you realize how deep his love is for you, and his love is deep, we sing that song, the deep, deep love of Jesus, you'll be able to say with Peter, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I love you, Lord. And the result of loving Christ is the first point. When you love Christ more than anything, you will follow him. You will follow him. Verses 18 and 19 Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you walked wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. So basically, Peter, when he was young, he went where he wanted, did what he wanted. He was in control. But there will be a time when he was older, when the others would take him and crucify him. And when, and, when, and when John says that he stretched out his hands, the early church held that the stretching forth of hands was to mean crucifixion. Most hold that that's what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus basically tells Peter, he says, Peter, you're going to die for me. Follow me. I almost... And this is my interjection here. This is not scriptural. But it was almost like as if Jesus said, and I was thinking about this, Peter, you're going to die for me. Follow me anyway. The verb to follow in Greek grammar is an imperative mood and a present tense. Simply put, when Jesus told Peter to follow him, it was a command. That's what imperative mood is. That was the verb. Follow me. Imperative move. Command. Jesus wasn't suggesting to Peter. Follow me. He said he gave him a command. And also in the present tense, meaning continuously. Peter didn't continuously follow Jesus, obviously, when he denied him. But as you read Acts of the Apostles, the first ten chapters, and when you read his first and second epistle, you could see how Peter continuously followed Christ. And Peter did follow Jesus out of great love and devotion for his Savior. And we know from Scripture, Peter became one of the three named pillars of the early church in Jerusalem. Peter was the first Christian ministry to the Gentiles, but primarily a Christian missionary to the Jews. And history tells us he was a Christian martyr in Rome under Nero. You know what history tells us also about Peter? When they went to crucify him, And this is not confirmed, but many believe that this is what happened. When they went to crucify him, he said, I am not worthy to die like my Lord. So what did they do? They crucified him upside down. Peter's leadership role in the early church dominates the first half of the book of Acts. He wrote two epistles. The first one to suffering persecuted Christians, actually the the woman's group 
have been studying that. The second one, to warn followers of Christ against false teachers. So with all that said, we know Peter was a devout Christian, a devout follower of Christ. He obeyed with all his heart. He followed Jesus and fed Jesus' followers and eventually died a martyr's death. He knew what it was to follow Jesus. He followed Jesus all the way to his death and glorified God. Now how do you follow Jesus today? You're not an apostle. Most of us are not called to be leaders in a pastoral role. So how do you follow Jesus? Well, first of all, I think truly following Jesus is first and foremost truly loving him. You can't follow someone you don't love. You can't love someone you're not following. The two go together. Secondly, to truly love Christ means to truly obey him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. So I think the first step in following Jesus is loving him. And the fruit of that love is obedience. Of course, without the new birth, no one can love, obey, or follow Christ. It takes the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to produce this kind of life. But what does loving, obeying, and following Jesus look like? Well, many we know today claim to follow Jesus. But here's what Jesus himself says about following him. Once again, this is not me speaking. This is the Lord himself. Matthew 10, verses 34 to 39. And this, you know, a lot of people will just pass this over as if it's not in the scriptures. But this is, listen what Jesus says. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on, to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. And a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Following Jesus is as radical as it gets. There is nothing more radical than following Jesus. As a matter of fact, many people in the Bible stopped following Jesus because it was too radical for them. If you, you can read that in the sixth chapter of John. Following Jesus means this. Sometimes, family members disown you. At times, some Christians lose their lives. In this country, we're not really experiencing that. But in other countries, they are, even right now as we speak, are experiencing that. It always means to pick up your cross. The cross, what Jesus is talking about, is not your mother-in-law. It's not your sickness. It's not any of your problems. That's not the cross Jesus was talking about. These might be trials in your life, to strengthen you, to test you. But it's not the cross which Jesus speaks of here. Picking up your cross means, as Dr. John MacArthur puts it so bluntly, to abandon themselves without reservation to Jesus' lordship, with no consideration of cost, even of life itself. I knew it would be very quiet in here. When you love Christ more than anything, you will follow him. 
and you will be willing to die for him. Now, I know people over the years have told me, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could die for Jesus. Well, let me, let me encourage you with something. Probably in this country, at least now, we're not going to have to die for Jesus. But if a time came, and you're a genuine Christian, at that moment, God will give you the grace to die for him. If I told you something different, I'd be lying to you and held accountable for the lie before the law. But that's the truth. Again, this is impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit in your your life. That's why we preach grace here. It's God's grace. We can't do this. I can't do this. I can't love. I can't obey. I can't follow Christ without the new birth. I can't follow Christ unless His grace is with me every single day. I can't do it. I fail. But with Christ in me, the hope of glory, I'm on that road. I'm, like what Paul says, I strive for that perfection. That's what it means to love and follow Jesus. And you will not follow another. You know and you recognize Christ's voice. You know, Peter learned from his failures that he could not follow Jesus in his own strength. If you're born again, you have the Spirit of God in your heart. As Paul told the Philippian church, he says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I love that scripture. That's one of my scriptures that I carry around me in the recesses of my memory. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of, your good, of his good pleasure. In other words, what they're telling me is God is working in me. He's given me the will and he's given me the power to live for him, to follow him, to obey him, to love him. In Middle Eastern countries, then and now, shepherds have a particular sound they'll use to get their attention and they, uh, for the sheep. And they will follow them and no one else. Sheep know the voice of their master, and they will always follow them. Jesus said in John ten twenty seven, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When you love Jesus more than anyone or anything, you know his voice, and you follow him, and you won't follow anyone else. Amen. And believe me, you turn on the TV, there's a lot of false teachers out there, a lot of false prophets But when you're filled with the word of God, when you're filled with the spirit of God, red flags do go up when you're listening to these people and you know, that's one I don't want to follow. Plus, whatever he commissions you to do for his kingdom, you'll do. Whatever you love the most, that you will follow. Think about what consumes most of your time. Think about that. What consumes most of your thinking? What consumes most of what you do. Is it your husband, your wife, children, sports, money, etc.? I had to think of this deeply. I had to search my heart. Just because we're pastors here doesn't mean we don't fall under the same convictions you guys do. We do. And I had to, before I came to this pulpit, I had to search my heart deeply. This morning I was really crying out to God and praying. I don't want anything. Jesus, I don't want anything Ahead of you. Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we could 
That's really speaking of money, because Jesus was talking about in the context of money. But that can apply to everything. It could apply to family, children, sports, hobby, what you name it. Whatever comes before Christ. When you love Christ more than anything, you will follow Him. You will be willing to die for Him. You will mind your own business. You'll mind your own business. Verses 20 to 23. Peter turned and saw a disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So you see, Jesus wanted Peter to focus on one thing. You, Peter, not John, I'm talking to you. Follow me. Stop worrying about John. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? What Jesus would do in John's life will be different than what he would do in Peter's life. In other words, Peter, mind your own business. John Calvin said, God does not treat all in the same manner, but makes trial of everyone as he thinks fit. All too often, Christians fail to mind their own business. And Christ is telling you to follow him and stop worrying about someone else's devotion to God or how God is going to use them. Stop comparing yourself to others. Why is God using that person more than me? God is saying, that's not the question you ask. You follow me. If God wants to use someone more than you, someone more than me, let it be. In the meantime, follow him. That's all he wants from you, to follow him. And because Peter didn't mind his own business, Jesus had to rebuke him. And that's why Jesus said to him, if it be my will... Till he remains, what is that to you? But that could have been misinterpreted. And a rumor could have started amongst, and it did start amongst the brothers. And, and there was a rumor. And when John died, that rumor could have made it sound like that Jesus made a false prediction, right? So John quickly inserts verse 23, which we just read, to avoid any misunderstanding. Point one, when you love Christ more than anything, you will follow him. Point two, when you love Christ more than anything, you will feed his people. The rest, these two points are fairly short, so bear with me. Verses 15 to 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, when when you love Jesus, you do what he asks. Contrary to the false shepherds in the Old Testament who fed themselves rather than God's people, Jesus now commissions Peter to truly feed the people of God. Jesus, we know, is the only true shepherd of his chosen saints, but he uses his servants like Peter to be the under-shepherds. Under-shepherd is under Christ and takes care of the flock. Brian, the elders of the church, me 
Elder Patty and Pastor Brian, we are called the under-shepherds of the church. And for Peter, Jesus did not only forgive him, but commissioned him to be shepherd of God's people. And he did that wonderfully. He did that so wonderfully. In Acts, when the Spirit came and filled the believers in the upper room, Peter stood up and gave a masterful, Spirit-filled sermon. I mean, if you ever read in Acts 2, the sermon he gave, it was masterful. And after the sermon, the Bible says that those who received the word were baptized, and there were added to that day 3,000 souls. So we see Peter immediately in his evangelistic pastoral role. We see in 1 Peter his deep, his deep pastoral concern and encouragement for persecuted Christians. We also see in 2 Peter his deep pastoral concern for protecting the flock against the false teachers and their teaching. In both epistles, Peter encouraged and exhorts his listeners to live in light of their present circumstances. In both epistles, that's what he does. Peter fed, nurtured the sheep that Christ died for. Peter was not the Pope, as some have claimed, but an equal with the other elders and pastors. And, you, and he says that. We're going to skip this verse. First Peter 5, the, uh, verses 1 to 2. He says, I exhort you, elders among you, as a fellow elder. But we're not going to read the, the rest of it. Peter is an example to all of us who are pastors or elders. They are to shepherd the church with fear and trembling as they lead the sheep to Christ. That's our job. To lead the sheep to Christ. Peter and any pastor at best is an under-shepherd. 1 Peter 2.25 says, For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he's speaking about Jesus here. He's speaking about Jesus who is the, is the chief shepherd and the overseer of our souls. What about most Christians who are not pastors, who are not elders? Does 21 verses 15 to 17 apply to them? Or do they apply to you? The immediate context, no. But a broader context, I think yes. All are called to feed the flock of God. Not in a pastoral sense. Doesn't mean all you're going to come up here and teach Bible studies and preach. But we're all called to feed the flock of God. Once you have learned, you go and teach other believers what you have learned. Not on the pastoral level, but on the great commission level that Jesus said in John 28 verses 19 through I think 21. He says, go make disciples of all the nations. Warren Worsby says it well. He says, while it is true that the Holy Spirit equips people to serve as shepherds and gives these people to churches... It is also true that each individual Christian must help to care for the flock. Each of us has a gift or gifts from the Lord, and we should use what he has given, given us to help protect and, perf- and perfect the flock. Sheep are prone to wander, and we must look after each other and encourage each other. We have a job to f- feed the flock of Christ. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But can you really feed God's people if you really don't truly love God? How many of you ever heard of Matthew Henry? The great Puritan. 
He said, those who do not truly love Christ will never truly love the souls of men. Third point. When you love Christ more than anything, you will bear witness about Him. Verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John was following the command of Christ to follow him. Not only Peter, John was too. And he says explicitly here that he bears witness to all the things that he wrote. The whole gospel. He was given an oath before God that what he was saying was true. John knew the penalty in the Old Testament to bear false witnesses. To be a false witness. So he bore witness before God. But what he wrote, as well as the other gospel writers, was not exhaustive. That's why he said the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Listen carefully. What is written in the Bible is sufficient in what God wants us to know. Jesus did a lot more things, said a lot more things, but only a certain amount of things were written in the Bible. And what he reveals to us through the written word is more than enough that can lead not only to salvation, but our growth as Christians. Paul told Timothy, everything that is written, breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You and I, and every Christian, have enough proof in John's gospel alone, not only to grow in our walk with Christ as we follow him, but enough to bear witness to a lost and dying world that Jesus is truly alive. Go and tell others. Go and tell others. Share the gospel with others. Let's conclude here. As I asked you before, do you love Christ more than anything? If you do, you're going to feed him? Are you going to follow him? You're going to feed his people? You're going to bear witness about him? may not be perfect, but that's what you'll do. That's what you'll want to do. That's what you'll desire to do. Like anything else in Christianity... Again, we desperately need the grace of God for this. There's not one person here who hasn't failed in loving Christ perfectly. And I'll be the first one to admit it. But that's our goal, isn't it? To love Him, to follow Him. There's a book by Philip Ryken called Loving Jesus More. Dr. Paul Tripp gave a recommendation on the book. And this is what he said. I said, I wish I could say that read that I read loving Jesus more with joy, but I didn't. I read it with grief. It exposed once again how weak and fickle my love for Jesus really is. Sadly, beneath my theological knowledge and Bible literacy is a heart that is still prone to wander. But Riken didn't leave me with a better understanding of what it means to love Jesus and the pain of acknowledging that I love him less. No, this book drips with the love of Jesus for me. Love that is constant, even when it is not reciprocated. This book balances the shocking honesty of the gospel with its glorious hope. I'm thankful for the surgery done on me through this book, and I think you will be too, Dr. Paul Tripp. 
Hear what he's saying? Do you love Jesus more? Only by focusing on his love for you can you ever love Christ. You want to love Jesus more than anything? Think about his love for you. Meditate on his love for you. Think about the incredible love he has for you. And you don't have to go far. You know where you go? To the cross. The cross shows us how much he loves us. 1 John 4.10 It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his only begotten son into the world that we may live through him. The reason why you and I can love Christ and each other is because he first loved us. And I'll conclude with one more quote from John Piper. So where does this love come from? It comes from being stunned by being loved by God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you spoke this to Peter almost 2,000 years ago. But you're speaking this text to us today. And you're asking us the same question you asked Peter. Sonship Ministries, do you love me more than these? And we want to answer. Lord, you know all things. You know that we love you. Now I can't answer for your people, God. I can only answer for myself. But I pray that you stir hearts today to love you more than anything. And I pray, God, that they don't try to conjure up this love because it will never happen. But I pray, God, that they would meditate, understand the love you have for them as they meditate on the cross of Christ. And as they see that great love you have for them, they'll respond with, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Let your people follow you, God. Let your people feed each other. Let your people bear witness to the truth of the gospel. God, give us your grace. For without your grace, we are just another religious people. Doomed to destruction. But with your grace, we are on the road that will follow you, that will tend to your sheep, that will bear witness for you, and will love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.